Hey bosses, this week's sponsor is Buddy Insurer. We'll tell you more about them during the break. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 256 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Kevin Martin from 30 and Wake Up. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Johnny. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. I've been listening to this show and and invest like a boss for a while now. Nice. Uh, so. Actually, let's let's rewind. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to talk about uh, about traveling during this travel lockdown in a van, and you know, basically blowing up on YouTube as hashtag van life, starting to make a lot of money from there, as well as your other online businesses, pivoting, all that cool stuff. But let's kind of rewind all the way back. Where where did you grow up? Where did you get started? How did you start traveling? Yeah, so I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, typical Midwest story. I only went on a couple family vacations, one to Florida, one to Colorado. And uh, at 18 years old, I enlisted in the US Navy and left in 1994 and did that for 20 years. So that's where my first uh, real exposure to travel uh, came from. I was stationed in Hawaii, my very first tour. And then my second tour, I was stationed in Italy. And my third tour, I was stationed back in Hawaii. So basically I was out of the United States. I know Hawaii is a state, but it's culturally is different uh, mm-hmm. as, as can be for the United States. So <clears throat> it sounds incredible to be stationed in places like Hawaii and Italy, but is it very different living there, you know, on a military base than it would be, you know, living there as a civilian or as a nomad? Yeah. So, so those duty stations were all pre nine 11. So the military is kind of different, um, since nine 11, but at that time it was very similar. Um, I lived out in town in Italy. I lived out in town in uh, Hawaii, both of my tours. And you just get up and you go to work. Um, you do deployments, uh, which was also which, which also exposed me to a lot of travel. That was like the first time I went to Thailand, to Singapore, to France, to Spain, to all those different places. But to answer your question, it's pre-9-11, it was very similar to um, traveling there as a civilian and living there. Okay. Oh, that's cool. That's good to hear because I always hear about these different ways to travel. Like, you know, for example, working on, on a cruise ship. And even though people get to see, you know, 20 or 30 different countries, most of the time they're only seeing it for a few hours in the ports. So they're not really getting to explore or see the, see the cities at all. So even though on paper it sounds like a great way to travel, it, sometimes it's terrible. But I guess military travel is, is a possibility. If someone's, you know, young, 18, fresh out of the high school, you know, they don't know what to do and they want to see the world. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, well, there's two ways that I traveled in the military. The first was I was actually stationed in the country. I was stationed in Italy for two years. So I, you know, rented an apartment. I lived in Italy for two years. And then there's in the Navy, you do deployments and you kind of port hop. It's very actually similar to being on a cruise ship. Um, So you only, you know, you stop in like in Thailand, I had never been to Chiang Mai. I'd been to Pattaya and Phuket. And so my exposure to those places were three to five days, very similar to the way you would experience them on a cruise ship. So in a way it can be kind of cruise shippy, but if you're, if you get stationed somewhere and you live there for a couple of years, like people in the army, a lot of them live in Germany, people in the air force um, go to Japan. And when you actually live there, it's more like the kind of travel we, you and I do now, which is, you know, staying in a place for a longer extended period of time. Yeah, that makes sense. So would you, like kind of having this experience of being in the military for so long, would you actually recommend it to, to people? Yeah, so for me, I was kind of a directionalist kid. And we'll talk about this later. But one of the things I didn't realize is I like being nomadic. And the military was the perfect job for that. I didn't realize that at the time, but I liked moving every two to three years and switching jobs. So I kind of fell into that. And, I, you know, I did it for 20 years and now I have a retirement, a pension and, you know, cheap healthcare. So part of me says, you know, part of me is if you're a directionless person, then I would say it's a good idea. But if you're kind of self-motivated and you have direction already, um, I'd say, Probably not. There's other ways to, <laughs> to accomplish um, the things that I got from the military without having to actually be in the military. And like I mentioned earlier, 
pre 9-11 and post 9-11 military experience were completely different. Yeah, it sounds like it's much more restrictive now. So, you know, way less fun. Like you, you can't go out to a bar, you know, meet a girl and bring her back to your base now. Yeah, I mean, the Navy used to be the Navy used to be just a bunch of port hops, port visits. Now it's a couple port visits and then you go and you hang out in the, the Arabian Gulf for six months. So it's, it's changed a lot uh, after 9-11. Well, it sounds like you went in at the right time. Um, so the military pension, it, it's, it's, is it similar to working a government job, but just much like a shorter lifespan? Um, as in, you know, instead of having to work for 40 or 50 years, you can just work for 20 years? Or how does that work? Yeah, so the way the military pension works is at 20 years, you qualify um, for... 50% of your income and every year you say in after 20, you get an extra two and a half percent and you can go all the way up to 75% if you stay in for 30 years. I only stayed in 20, so I get 50% uh, of my pay. And the cool thing about it is you get it immediately. So I retired at 39. So I started getting it right away immediately. Um, so that it's a, it's kind of a throwback to the way it used to be, the way our economy used to work and the military had to compete with general motors and, you know, uh, Boeing and different com- uh, companies that had pensions. Those have gone have gone away with companies, but the military hasn't really evolved its system. Although I hear it's they're changing a lot. Actually, it's going to more of like a 401k type system. But I'm grandfathered into the old 20 years. Here's 50% of your pay for the rest of your life. So it's kind of a good deal. Yeah, that's amazing. And is that how you funded your initial travels, or like how where did you start going after you retired? Yeah, so after I retired, I actually went to law school. Um, it was something I always wanted to do. The military was going to pay for it. They actually paid my my rent in D.C. as well. So I actually went to law school and became a lawyer. Uh, I was okay. a juvenile defense attorney for a year and then a corporate lawyer in New York City. Um, but my pension was something that I was always that, that I always had in my back pocket. And as I started um, thinking about traveling, I realized that on my pension, I could live in a place like Thailand or Georgia or Vietnam for the rest of my life uh, on that. So that was one of the things that gave me a little push um, to get out and start traveling full time. Did you have any regrets of you know, spending all that time and money going to law school and, and working for those years? Or was that another chapter that you kind of felt like you needed to do? Yeah, it was something I always wanted to do. I wanted, so I didn't go to a traditional I didn't get my undergrad uh, at a traditional university. I, I got a piecemeal going to class at a time in the military. Um, and it was something I wanted to do. I wanted the experience. I always heard law school was like a really good experience. And it was for me. I mean, I went at, I went in at 39, graduated um, at 42, almost 42. Um, so for me, it was just a lot of fun um, being in an academic environment. And I lived in D.C. Um, during a lot of kind of crazy times. You know, I was there for... Mm-hmm the women's March and uh, Trump's election and things. So that was kind of cool as well. Um, I went for free. So normally, normally um, people who go to law school come out of law school with two, $300,000 worth of debt. Anybody who knows me knows I'm debt debt adverse and I would never recommend going to law school and taking on that kind of debt. Um, So I, I came out with no debt. So it was basically free for me. And, um, I wanted to practice law for a little bit just to see what it was like. I I ended up realizing I didn't like working for other people anymore. So (laughs) that's one, another reason I I left. Okay. So it was because of the military that that you were able to attend for free. Yeah. uh, When you serve four years in the military, you get the GI bill Mm -hmm. and they pay your tuition at most schools and they also pay your rent. So it's actually kind of, it's a pretty good deal. So so can someone go to the military just, just for four years? So from 18 to 22 and then go to university completely paid and never go back to the military? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That actually sounds yeah. like a pretty good, pretty good uh, plan. I mean, uh, especially if it's not during wartime. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was a kid from like, you know, I, I spent a better part of my life living in trailer parks, so I couldn't afford college. And student loans weren't as prevalent as they are now back in 1994, which I'm glad they weren't. Um, So for me, it was kind of like my only option, my way out to travel and get out of Missouri, but also my way um, to get an education. Um, Not that I think, it's funny the way our society works. I don't really think education is that important. Um, Although the piece of paper means something in our world um, for whatever reason. 
but I never, I didn't really learn anything from my university education. My law school education, I did learn, uh, learn some things, but um, yeah, I don't think it's like a necessity, but if you can do it, do it. And the military is a way to do it for really cheap. Yeah. So I actually almost joined the army when I was, I think I was 18 or 19. I was going to uh, junior college and I was completely lost. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I had no money. I was living at home with my parents. I had no direction. And I remember seeing a recruiter at some strip mall and he handed me a pamphlet saying, you know, uh, you know, this is why you should join. And I think he might even gave me a CD that was kind of like a call of duty style video game that they spent a ton of money on. And it was super fun. And he's like, yeah, if you like counter-strike, you're going to like joining the army. He's like, you know, you look like a big guy. You can join the, the go army, uh, you know, football or boxing team. And I seriously considered it for a while. I, like, I, I read through the contracts. I think the only reason why I didn't sign up was there was a, some clause in there saying that if I leave early, I get put in jail. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. I know myself and I might want to quit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. It's the contract and you can't, you can't just quit, which for me was actually good. Um, I needed that kind of like, I needed that kind of push. Uh, but other people don't need that. But I, I needed that. So for me, it actually... It actually was good. I think if I could go back and do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't do it. But um, at the time, it, it made a lot of sense for me. And I got really lucky. I mean, I got stationed in Hawaii. So I, I was in Hawaii nine of my first 11 years. So I kind of came of age in Hawaii and learned, you know, different, a different culture, different foods. And it kind of really shaped the way I, um, the way I live my life now. So I'm thankful for those experiences and I wouldn't give them up for anything. And also the friends you make in the military is similar to the community that you develop when you're traveling. Um, you make lifelong friends. Yeah, that's great. Did you happen to learn how to surf while you're out there? Yeah, I'm no good. I'm a better boogie boarder than, uh, than surfer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, nice. So it sounds like that first chapter was, was pretty awesome. Uh, the, the lawyer chapter, a bit more short lived, but, it sounds like it was a good deal because it was, it was free to do. <laughs> you got to try it. Um, yeah. How did you like the international travel part? Like, where, where did you go there? Uh, while I was in the military or when no, I no, af became afterwards. A, yeah. So, so I was, a, I was a, a lawyer in New York City for a year and I was coming home every night watching travel videos, <laughs> watching your channel. I read your uh, book, Life Changes Quick, and I was watching a couple other YouTube channels and I was like, I could go do this. <laughs> like, why can't I go do this? Uh, instead of, you know, working 80 hours a week, they pay you a lot as a corporate lawyer, but they really s expect a lot of time. And um, I was just tired of giving that time. And I was, I was like daydreaming about Thailand and Vietnam and Paris and places like that. So um, I, I decided to do a program called remote year. So I did uh, 12 months, uh, hit 12 countries the reason I did that program was because I figured I could pay someone to handle the logistics of travel for me and I could focus on building my YouTube channel. And that's what I did. I, I did a, a year of remote year. I kind of got lucky. My program ended March 1st of wow. 2020. Um, so I actually got really lucky. Wow. That's perfect timing. Yeah. That really is. It's also surprising that you found my channel and started watching it while you were still a lawyer in New, in New York. Yeah, I, I think I found your channel before that when I was in law school. I, uh, my last year of law school, I, uh, I, I, was, I, I just had the travel bug and I was just watching all these channels. And I was like, why don't I just like hop on a plane on this four-day weekend we have and go somewhere? And I convinced one of my buddies to do it, hopped on a plane to Paris, realized how cheap you could do it. I think Wild Air still existed at the time. So I flew Wild Air, which was a terrible airline, but, um, but I flew Wild Air for like 40 bucks to Paris and stayed in a little tiny place for like $30 a night near the Eiffel Tower. And it was just a really cool experience. Um, and then I just kept following your channel and listening to your, uh, your podcast. And then I found Invest Like a Boss uh, as well, which was really cool. Yeah, nice. So you you made you did remote year did you have like a game plan on how to earn money before you started remote year or like were you just planning on using that year to kind of figure it out yeah so right before i so let me rewind a little bit i actually had a pretty successful investing youtube channel um in the 
like 2007 to 2010 when it was actually really easy to make it. Um, so I, I already understood the potential um, that YouTube offers with ad revenue. So I already understood the potential of that. So that was my, my strategy was to build up my channel and build up my ad rep. I, I found your course, uh, Earnest Affiliates, and um, I took that course and that got, got kind of the wheels spinning. Um, I started doing Amazon affiliates and I travel with one bag, uh, just one carry-on bag, 30 liter Osprey backpack. Wow. And what made that possible was Moreno wool. I think I learned about that on your channel or somebody, somebody that you recommended channel. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really liked two companies and I started tagging them on all my Instagram posts. And eventually one of them was like, Hey, we like all your pictures. We'd like to uh, work out a, a brand deal with you. And so that, that actually came pretty quick in my travels. Nice. Um, so I, yeah, so I kind of credit you with that. And it's stuff that I wear every day and it's stuff I like. I took five brands of Moreno wool with me. Three were crap. Two of them were good. I ended up getting a deal with one of them. So, um, so that was my main income source uh, for a little while as I was building up my channel. Hey bosses, you can now venture fearlessly with a partner, Buddy Insurance. You are covered in the event of an accident. While you're active, be it on the slopes, on the rocks, or in the water, Buddy is the first and only on-demand insurance in the market. The only one. If you ever wondered what a bad fall on the slopes would cost you, Buddy will answer that question for you in no time. It's the only accident coverage you can get for as little as a day or as long as a year. No old-fashioned phone calls. Buddy gets you covered in approximately 90 seconds on the website. It's literally designed for adventurers, risk-takers, and bosses who are active in life. You can get a free quote with the code BUDDYINSURE. Simply text the word BUDDYINSURE to 474747 to receive the link. Again, get a free quote with the code BUDDYINSURE. Just text the word BUDDYINSURE to 474747 and follow the link. So we're, um, I guess a couple of questions on that is, uh, first, I mean, I am curious, what are the, what, what's the brand that you worked with and what's the other one that you, you liked as well? Uh, Unbound Moreno is the one I work with. Mm-hmm. And the one, the other one I really liked was Outlier. It's a New York city company. They make really good stuff too. It's, it's actually the priciest of the, of the two of those. Okay. Um, and then I had a couple other ones. I had uh, Wooly, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one you can get on Amazon. Uh, your audience should never buy that stuff. Although uh, maybe they've improved since 2018, but the stuff I got just all fell apart really quickly. Oh no. Okay. So, yeah. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Marina wool as well. And uh, inside the course, if anyone hasn't checked it out, it's, it's actually, I, I rebranded it. It's now income bot boss.com because nobody was able to spell earnest affiliate <laughs> uh, inc- including myself sometimes so <laughs> now it's incomeboss.com but uh yeah like a big concept of it is really just to figure out you know what is what works best for you uh you know test be the guinea pig test it out and then put it out there for other people to you know save some time uh and you can potentially earn money as an affiliate or in your case a brand partnership it was it a, like a monthly kind of set uh, you know, check that they would give you, or was it more of like a, like a, like a per post or per item sold deal? Yeah. So I wanted something that like helped my audience out. So they gave me my own, um, my own code coupon code. So anytime anybody buys anything from there, they use my code, they get 10% off and then I get 10% of it. Awesome. Um, yeah. And it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're, when you're in like this little niche audience, you actually sell a lot of that stuff. I think I sold during Christmas, I sold like 20 something thousand dollars worth. Wow. Um, and then monthly, I usually sell between two and 4,000, but Christmas is the big time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I only had like, I probably only had two or 3,000 subscribers, but I had a lot of people watching my um, packing videos and mm. my videos on how to travel with only one backpack and they were, you know, they were buying the stuff. So, and it was stuff I believe in. It's, I mean, I have it on right now. (laughs) Um, It's, it's a brand I believe in and I would be, I was hyping them up before I ever had a deal. And I think that's, that's kind of the way you got to go about it. Yeah, for for sure. Uh, I'll link to that video in the show notes because it sounds like something I want to watch as well, but feel free to shout out the, uh, the link and your your coupon code for for people that want to use it. Yeah, it's 30 and a wake up. Uh, just like my channel name, the number three zero and a wake up. If you use it on un- uh, unboundmoreno.com, you get 10% off. And full disclosure, they give me 10%. Very cool. 
So you're, you know, making money slanging uh, sheep wool <laughs> while traveling. <laughs> yeah. And how long did it take you to start making money from your YouTube channel? Because I'm assuming you started this new one from scratch. Yeah. So at first it was really slow. It was like, you know, like $100 a month here, $100 a month there. For those that don't know, when you, when you have a YouTube channel, YouTube won't pay you until you hit the $100 uh, mark. Then they'll, they'll send you money. Um, and there was a couple months when I didn't hit that $100 mark, but I just kept sticking with it. I was lucky I have, um, I have rental income and I have my military retirement. So I had a little bit of, of cushion um, to fund my travels. And I knew I, YouTube is a long game. I tell people that all the time. Um, if you stick with it and you're consistent, you'll eventually build an audience. And that's what happened with me. I had one video blow up in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started making, you know, four or $500 um, after that video took off and I got wow. a bunch of subscribers. Yeah. So that's the six um, things you should never do in Malaysia video. Yeah. It's a terrible video. There's like crickets in the background. Like it's a, ter that's another thing I tell people never censor what you release because you never know what's going to be a hit. <laughs> like yeah. I did, I did not want to release that video because the audio was so bad. Oh no. But for whatever reason, I mean, Malaysians love videos about Malaysia. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and they speak English. So it was, it's a natural audience for, for somebody that's doing travel. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, know, made, I made, I was gonna say the same thing uh, happened here in Sri Lanka with, with my travel channel. It's Sri Lankans speak English and they love, you know, seeing videos about Sri Lanka, especially from foreigners. So, you know, I've gained, I, I went from having, you know, maybe 12 or 13,000 subscribers over the last 12 years <laughs> to basically doubling my audience in the last two months since I've been here. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. The, the audiences from places that speak English only want to see videos about their own country, which I, which I find funny because I would make a video about Vietnam and I'd get 2000 views. I make a video about Malaysia and it's an instant hundred thousand views plus. Yeah. But, but I think what a lot of also people don't realize is the, even though we might get half a million views or a hundred thousand views on a video. If it's all Sri Lankans or all Malaysian people watching it, the cost per ad, you know, ad displayed is, is very, very low compared to you know, having just a few thousand views from people in the U S especially yeah. you know, on a hot topic, like investing or finance or, you know, makeup. No, absolutely. Um, it's the difference between my income now and my income then is night and day. Um, vans and RVs are really hot right now. And I, I make a, a ton more money per click. I think my, I think my cost per click in Malaysia was somewhere around $3 right now in the U S it's like 17 wow, or cost huge. per thousand cost per yeah. cost per thousand. Yeah, yeah. Which is a huge number. Anybody who knows this game knows that's a ridiculously high number. Yeah. Do you think that a lot of that is just perfect timing where, you know, the travel ban happened, people, are interested to get out of the house and out into nature, but they can't travel anywhere. So the RV and van life kind of phenomenon has just caught on and just happened to have, you know, perfect timing again. Yeah. I just got really, I got lucky on the timing. There's already a, there's already a decent um, van life niche genre out there, van life RV niche uh, genre out there. And it just like a wave came, came over the whole, that whole genre around the May timeframe when people went, oh, we're, we're going to be stuck in our houses for a while if we don't find an alternate way to travel. And so, yeah, I, I kind of got lucky. And I think, you know, that's just part of, part of it. You know, sometimes you just get lucky and I got lucky here. And I already had a base. I already had, I think, 10 or 15,000 subscribers. So I already had automatic views, which helped push my videos up the mm. ranking. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize this is, even though luck and timing has a lot to do with, you know, pretty much everything in life, right? A lot of it is kind of the the preparation to be ready for that. You know, people can say, "Oh, yeah, you just got lucky," but was it really luck if you know the the, the previous you know couple of years or even ten years, you know, before that was us, you know, figuring out ways to be prepared <laughs> to basically you know hop on this opportunity. You know, it's the same with my channel. Like it it didn't really start making a lot of money until two or three months ago. Uh, basically, when I got stuck in Sri Lanka. And I, and I had nothing to do. So I just started making videos, you know, every other day, but I had a YouTube channel for 10 years. So I had learned, you know, learned how to film, to edit, to, you know, create content. I already had the base of, you know, 12,000 subscribers. 
And when it was ready to pop, it popped. And it sounds like it's the same with your channel as well. Yeah. And I, and one of the things I really credit though, is the amount of time I spent learning SEO. Cause now I know how to dominate the ha- the van life hashtag, the RV living hashtag. Um, I know how to dominate those hashtags because I, I spent all that time having videos that weren't getting any views trying to figure out why. And, and it was because my SEO was really poor. So people weren't finding my video because there are still van life videos out there um, that only get four or 500 views. I see them all the time in my feed and I always click to see what's going on with their video and their keywords are just all wrong. Their narratives are wrong and they, they just haven't done, they haven't done the research on how to properly um, use SEO to get their video seen. Cause if it doesn't matter if you make the best video in the world, you could be Martin Scorsese. If you don't have the right SEO, nobody's going to see it. That's really interesting. So when you say YouTube SEO, are you talking about just that box where you put in tags or are you talking about a bigger picture? Yeah, there's a, uh, the box where they put in where you put in tags, but also your narrative and what you name your files. It's all, it's all connected. Um, I mean, Google owns YouTube, so it's the same search engine type algorithm. Um, YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world next to Google. Google owns YouTube. Actually, in some countries, YouTube is the number one search engine. Like Malaysia, Vietnam, YouTube actually gets more searches than, than uh, and India gets more searches than Google, actually. Wow. Um, so really learning that SEO in and out. And like there's, there's certain things that the algorithm is always changing and like staying on top of that is also really important. Um, things like the, the word van life. If your video is a, a van tour, van life's a very competitive keyword. So if you mm-hmm. only, if you don't write a narrative that has van life in it at least three times, you're probably not going to end up in the algorithm, especially if you have a small channel. If you have a bigger channel, it's really easy because <clears> you, you instantly get a lot of views. But uh, when you're a struggling channel, you got to be able to appear in, in, in uh, search it or, or you're going to, you're going to, it's going to take you longer. So, I mean, my advice to people is learn search engine optimization um, as it relates to YouTube. If that's your platform, that's my platform. I know it really well. My blog is terrible because I don't know um, that kind of search engine optimization well. Um, But that's always my advice to people doing YouTube. Learn how to get your video seen. How did did you learn how to optimize uh, YouTube, YouTube SEO? just reading different blogs on it, um, following YouTube actually has its own creator channel and not that many based on the amount of subscribers it has, it doesn't get, doesn't get a lot of views, but they put out great information. They, they basically tell you what the formula is Mm -hmm. in the, uh, in the creator studio channel. Um, and so I stay up on those videos. Anytime one comes out and there's some kind of little change, I'm always like on top of that change to make sure that my videos get seen by as many people as possible. And then it's, then it's just up to the algorithm. Sometimes the algorithm catches a video. Sometimes it doesn't. What's really funny is I, I'm friends with Harold Balder who has a big channel <clears throat> over a million uh, subscribers. And the advice that he gives me is basically the exact opposite. And I had realized at some point, like, I mean, obviously he knows what he's doing because, you know, he, he grew his channel um, to be, you know, over, over a million subscribers and he's very successful. But it reminded me of rich people giving broke people advice. Yeah. <laughs> or like the, you know, like the, 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 the tall, handsome guy giving the, uh, the short, ugly guy advice. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I can see why this works for you, but I'm pretty sure that if I do that, I've never, my channel's never going to be seen. And, and just a couple of the, the suggestions he gave, he said, he's like, Johnny, like, I don't use any tags. <laughs> he's like, and he's like, I don't even use a thumbnail. And I'm like, well, yeah, once you get to a certain level, you don't have to because you're, um, you, you have, I've actually watched his channel before and I'm not going to dispute what he says because obviously he's grown a channel, but I, I agree with you. Plus it changes a lot. It changes often. Um, Google's always, uh, YouTube and Google are always tweaking their algorithm. But when you have a certain amount of viewers that watch whatever you put out, and that's really the goal is that you have a core audience that will watch your videos to push it up the rankings. Like I always watched your videos, even if I wasn't really interested in the topic because I was kind of invested in Johnny FD, you know, and that's kind of the audience you want to build. And I'm sure the audience that Harold has built 
um, if he has a million uh, a million subscribers, he probably gets a hundred thousand views on his first day. So he gets pushed up the algorithm automatically just based on that. And so he doesn't yeah. have to do, he doesn't have to grind, <laughs> but when you're small, you have to get found because you're not going to get found. If you don't have those, you're not going to get found um, for van life. If you don't have van life in your title and you don't have a thumbnail that people will click on. I mean, I have a video that just broke a million views and I know why it broke a million views. There's a really pretty girl with a really cool dog and cat with a really cool Airstream. And that was the thumbnail. And that's why people clicked on it. Uh, so it has a 13% click through. So um, I think it's important for smaller channels, yeah. but I agree I, with I, you. Once you get to a certain level, uh, your advice is going to be kind of skewed because it's, it's easier for you at the time. The first million is always the, the hardest. The hardest. Yeah. It's the same with money and the same with, with pretty much everything. <clears throat> and it's almost funny because I, I'm pretty sure that the reason why it works for him not to have any tags or a good thumbnail or any, you know, any thumbnail is because if random people start finding his, his uh, vlog and they click it, they might not watch the whole vlog. They might be like, who's this Harold Barter guy? He's very um, controversial. You know, he's, you know, either love or hate him. And a lot of people will just click off. <clears throat> However, if he doesn't do any SEO, the only people that will watch the videos are the first hundred thousand people that will watch the video or his loyal fans who will watch the entire video. And yeah. that just signals to YouTube, people love this video. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's one of the most important things is watch time. How long can you keep the person on, your, on, your, on their platform? I mean, that's what they care about because then they'll run more ads on top. So yeah. that's actually one of the most important things. So it's, it, that, stra that strategy is probably smart when you have the audience. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, but it, it's good that we, we kind of figure it out for ourselves as well uh, and, and use our own kind of clear, clear minds and as well as just getting advice from other people who are kind of more relatable. You know, if somebody like the, the advice that you just, you just gave, you know, at 50,000 subscribers is exactly the advice that I need to hear to grow from 30, you know, 30,000 to 50,000. Yeah. And I mean, that's how I got yeah. to 50,000, you know, uh, and I don't know what it takes to get from 50 to a hundred thousand, but that's how I got uh, to 50,000. Um, and I know, it, I, I know that's the reason because I can look at my stats. Like I can look at, how many times I was found in search. I can look, that's the great thing about YouTube is uh, they're owned by Google. So they'll give you all kinds of analytics and you can see, you know, you can change your thumbnail and see what your click-through rate is. You know, the, does a girl in a hot bikini get you clicks or does a picture of my van get, if my van's not in my thumbnail, I don't get clicks. Mm. So I always put my van in my thumbnail because my audience doesn't care about girls in bikinis. They care about vans. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely see that. So speaking of van life, uh, I was really excited when you got the, uh, that van, the uh, Travato 59G, is it? Or the K? The K. I've got the K. I've got the KL, the National Park version. Yeah. So uh, for those who, who aren't aware of van life, I've been following it for years now. It's been, I've been daydreaming about tiny homes and van life for the last probably five years. And the only reason why I haven't pulled the trigger to do it is because I've done the math and it's much cheaper to live out of Airbnbs in places like Chiang Mai or Eastern Europe absolutely. or, or you know, absolutely. Sri Lanka. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm discovering places to stay, though, on Bureau of Land Management land and in National Forest that's completely free where you can stay for two weeks at a time. And so I'm actually able to keep my expenses down a lot. But, but if you want a good van, they're pretty pricey. So. Yeah. Yep, you have to factor that in as well. But really, like you can you can live in a van pretty low cost um, if you're if you're diligent on finding free spots to camp at. Yeah, uh, and if you have a kind of older, crappier van, but if you have a nicer, newer van, like the ones <laughs> you actually associate with van life, then you know you have the the cost of the van, the cost of the build, uh, or you know buying a a new like a like a new like Winnebago. Then you have maintenance of the van itself, things like tires and oil change, you know, petrol costs, you know, uh, parking costs. And it really ends up adding up. I mean, and, and no, it I does. Mean, just living in the US, you know, insurance, you know, all that stuff. It ends up being like, do you know what your kind of monthly spend is? I'm actually trying to figure it out right now because it's kind of all over the place because I just started four months ago. Um, I, I paid cash for my 
vehicle, but if you financed my vehicle, it pro you can finance these things for 20 years, which is kind of crazy. But if you finance my vehicle, put 10% down, it would be somewhere around probably seven, 750 a month, um, which will get you, you know, a really nice place in <laughs> Chiang Mai, Bali, Vietnam. Yeah. Like, I mean, nice places that I stayed in in Chiang Mai were like $400 a month. Mm -hmm. So it would cost you about 750 a month. And then um, gas is really, gas is really a wild card because some people like to move every couple of days. Um, some people like, like me, like to find a spot and stay there for seven to 10 days, making videos, hanging out with uh, people I meet on the road. Um, so that cost can vary. Mine's probably around 100 to 150 bucks a month. Um, I have a brand new vehicle, so maintenance hasn't really been that much. I've had one oil change. It was 50 bucks uh, since I started. So uh, I haven't really figured out exactly what the cost would be, but if I was going to guess, my insurance for the year is $1,000. Um, I would say it would, I would say probably between a thousand and fifteen hundred the way I do it. Okay. Um, there's other, not, not, yeah. Yeah, there's other the, people, the cost of the van. Yeah. Not, no, no, I'm including that in there. I'm including okay. the seven fifty if I was making a payment. So I'd say it'd be somewhere around 15. Really? Okay. That's cheap. That yeah. is but cheap. I, but I travel slow. So yeah. uh, the, the people who travel fast um, spend a lot more and the people who stay in um, RV parks uh, pay a lot more. Yeah. So I like, I really like the way you do it. That's exactly how I would have done it. And that's actually almost the exact same van that I would have bought. I was, I've done, you know, so much research uh, first from, you know, the actual van builds uh, to, you know, then discovering these class B's are actually pretty much exactly what I would want anyway. So why build it myself? Uh, and the only difference is I would, I would have got the 59G, the one with the, the bed in the back and, and the uh, living room up front. Why did you go with the K? Uh, I like the openness. I'm I'm like a studio apartment guy, which is like actually great for like international travel because studios are usually much cheaper than one bedrooms and two bedrooms on Airbnb. Um, and I just like the open floor plan of the K. I get why people like the G. I was originally going to get another van called a Heimer Active and they had mm -hmm. a similar floor plan to the G. Um, and I actually just did an interview with a guy and a G that's coming out in a couple of weeks. So I get why people like the G because it's kind of com compartmentalized. So you have mm -hmm. like separate living spaces, separate kitchen, separate bedroom, uh, a much more functional bathroom than the one I have. Um, but I really like um, being able to see from any part of the vehicle, whatever beautiful landscape that I'm in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I like it. It's just, it's just a wall full of windows is what my van is. So, so we'll have a link to the, the tour of Kimmins, uh, Winnebago, which is Travato, uh, in the show notes, you can check it out, but just kind of give everyone an idea. Uh, it has basically bench seats on either side with big windows and the, the seats basically turn into two twin beds. And I yeah. guess you can put it together into one big bed, but I'm assuming you never do that. You, do you just uh, yeah. sleep on a twin? Yeah. Nobody who gets a K does that because it's, it's actually really poorly designed. It makes it one big bed. It's hard to get to the bathroom. Uh, I've never met anybody with a K that does that. If you're going to do that, you might as well get a G because it just makes it hard to move around uh, your rig. Yeah. And, and I guess it's, it's, it's fine if you're uh, a single person and, and you, you know, you just need a twin bed. Have you, I mean, for me, the only way I would ever do van life is if I had a dog and a girlfriend. <laughs> Have you thought about getting either? <laughs> so I, once COVID dies down, I plan on doing both international travel and this probably half of the year in my van the other half, um, traveling internationally. International travel is what I love. I'm loving exploring the United States because I, I, I basically moved out of the country um, as, a, as a teenager, so I haven't really explored it. So I'm loving this and it's amazing, but I want both. I want <laughs> the best of both worlds. Um, so um, what was the question again? Shoot. <laughs> Uh, would you consider getting a car and a partner? I mean, not a car, oh, a dog. Oh, a dog. So that's why I wouldn't get a dog because I think it would be, I would hate to have to leave the dog for six months. And the cool, here's the cool thing about van life. Everybody has a freaking dog. So I, I always have a dog around me. I do mm. hikes. I do hikes with people. I, I almost always have a dog to play with, to pet. So it's almost like I have a dog except for without all the, the cost and responsibility of actually having the dog. So yeah, that's smart. Yeah. For me, I, I, w I wouldn't because of 
the international piece that I'm going to continue to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if I, if I wasn't doing that, I probably would get a dog. Um, the girlfriend thing, people are going to be really surprised if they decide to do van life, how many single women are out on the road in vans and RVs. It's actually more than guys, especially if you join the different um, RV clubs like escapers or I'm in i uh, I'm in escapers and I'm also in this one called Winnie B, um, mm-hmm. which is an organization of, Winnebago class B owners. And it's those community type things are actually full of women. Um, I'm like, it's like 15% guys, 85% women. So you actually meet a lot of women on the road and they're, they're, they're usually pretty cool, cool women to meet. You know, they like to travel. They're like adventurous. You know, they made this big leap into living in a van. They're usually entrepreneurial, which is cool. And so, um, yeah, if you want a girlfriend on the road, you can find one for sure. Okay, nice. So what is your daily kind of schedule like? Because if you're in one place for you know a week at a time or even longer and you're only putting out one video a week, are you spending like are you spending the whole week editing or are you just hiking every day and just you know saying like I'm gonna work one day a week, like the four hour work week? What are you actually up to? Yeah, so I'm actually expanding to I'm getting ready to expand to two videos a week. Um so I'm trying to get uh, a stockpile of videos before I do. Um, so I just actually hired a video editing company. So I'm trying to do the four hour work week where I just film, give my stuff to an editor. Um, so far it's been good. It hasn't, it hasn't quite been up to what the quality I expect, uh, but that's been because of my poor communication with the editor. So um, I'm actually adopting kind of the four hour work week method where I can start outsourcing things. I'm making enough money now and editing. I, I like editing sometimes, but as you know, that is the most tedious part of being a YouTube. Um, for every 15 minute video, it's probably 15 to 20 hours of editing. So, um, so to get back to your question, usually my daily life is uh, waking up and answering comments. One thing that I do is I answer every single YouTube comment. It's, a, it's the best way to convert subscribers and people that'll keep coming back to your channel, in my opinion. Um, so that's the first thing I do every morning. Then I make breakfast. I usually go for a run, get a workout in before it gets too hot, depending on where I'm at. And then I usually start touching base with the people that are in the area that are escapers uh, and see if there are any, are any hikes. I don't like planning. So it's actually great to be in these different groups because there's always somebody in there planning something like, um, there's a video where I hike one of the 14,000 foot peaks in uh, Colorado called Mount Chavano. And it was just this woman who was part of escapers was like, Hey, I'm hiking this 14,000 um, foot peak tomorrow. Anybody want to go? And I was like, sure, I'll go. Um, so that's usually what I do. I figure out uh, what's going on during the day and try to go do something and then come back, work on video ideas, do some filming. Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's actually a pretty, a uh, pretty low key lifestyle, which is exactly what I want. Yeah. That actually sounds pretty idyllic for a lot of people. I, I think if I was stuck in the U S right now, I would either hop down to Mexico or I would get a van. Yeah. I think I'm actually going to take my van down to Mexico. Hopefully this sometime this year, they're letting, uh, they're opened up for uh, tra- uh, RVs now. So I might actually head down there this summer down to probably Baja. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think that'd be beautiful. I, I think it'd be s- super easy to drive down there and, and have a nice place you can you know wake up on the beach and i think the only downside of when i when my time when i was in baja was it was expensive there it was it was like basically u.s prices but if you have your van then it's it's great yeah yeah there's a lot there's actually a little network of spots uh specifically for people in rvs and vans so i just want to check those out and see what it's like i'd like to be in mainland mexico to be honest with you go down to like oaxaca or like mm-hmm. Puerto escondido um, take my van down there, but I, I'm not that adventurous with my van yet. Yeah. Give it a few months. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so when I first saw the title of your, your channel 30 and a wake up, I just assumed that at 30 years old, you decided to kind of wake up and quit your job and explore the world. But that, that's not what it means. Right. Yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I, I get this question a lot. And anytime I've worked with like a graphic designer for logos, they're always trying to convince me to rebrand. Um, mm-hmm. So 30 to wake up, I'm 45. I just turned 45. So it has nothing to do with, with, uh, with uh, being 30. Um, 
in the military, when you go on a military deployment, you have a countdown. So if you have 100 days until you return home to your family, you say, I have 99 days and a wake up. And when I first started traveling, yeah, when I first started traveling, I like to travel slow. So I stay in a country at least 30 days and then usually move on to the next country because that just makes visas easy when you stay 30 days. Mm -hmm. So that's what 30, 30 and a wake up means. It's just a play on the uh, what, what I used to say in the military and the way I was traveling. Although most people think it's like you had a wake up call. And I kind of did have a wake up call, but it was at 42, not 30. Yeah, yeah it's all right. It's, it's kind of a, a double uh, well, a double meaning there. So it, yeah. it works. I, I, I like the branding. I love your channel. I love all the success you've been having. What prompted me to reach out to you was I saw that you posted uh, in the Income Boss um, Facebook group that you basically had two killer months in a row and your, your revenue has skyrocketed. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So as soon as I got the van and I started putting out van videos, they just took off. And so did my revenue. My, I started getting us viewers, which like we talked about earlier is a much higher, um, CTM, I believe it is. Um, which is like how much you get paid per thousand. And yeah, I, for whatever reason, people just love a, a homeless guy in a van. <laughs> and I just found a formula that worked and my revenue started skyrocketing. It also pushed people to Amazon and pushed people to um, the Moreno Wool company I work with. So all of my different revenue streams from YouTube um, started going up. And then I started doing, I, I kind of got bored always talking about myself. So as I would meet new and interesting people out here on the road, uh, I would ask them if I could do a van tour with them and hear their story. And those videos started taking off. Um, people really, people really like to hear um, people's story on how they, you know, made the break from uh, conventional life to a life of travel. And so those videos uh, have done really well and are really my main income gen. I still do my own lifestyle videos and that's for my audience that I have. And those, those make decent money, but it's really those van tours and interviewing other people about their travel life um, that have really been successful and what have really propelled my channel. to. Be. Yeah. And I, I could see those doing really well because first they're interesting to watch. Uh, but second, I'm, I'm just assuming that people are happy to do them because you know, you're kind of just hanging out in the middle of nowhere and you have plenty of free time and people are proud of the, you know, the, the leaps they made um, in their lives and they want to show off their van. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, most of them are younger people and they have Instagram and they want to build their Instagram following. So that's part of it too. Um, I, that video I have uh, that came out recently um, the, the girl Cass had, you know, was, has been trying to build her Instagram forever. I think she had 5,000 um, Instagram subscriber or Instagram followers. And now she has 15,000. So she has more than me. She has the ability to do the swipe up and all that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what she got out of it. And I also let them put their own Amazon links. Anybody mm -hmm. who's anybody who I do a tour of, I let them put their own um, uh, Amazon links. So they get something out of it. And my viewers always ask anyway, they always ask, Hey, they were using this lithium battery in there like what what's the brand name of it uh, so i just have them um set up an affiliate account so they can see kind of the potential uh of of the world that me and you live yeah that's nice actually so most of the the people that you meet while traveling are they actually earning money um i mean i i guess my, my bigger question is the other you know uh youtubers and other instagrammers not necessarily people with a day job like all there's so many van life influencers out there. Like how many of them are actually making decent money? Uh, I, so of the van life influencers or of the, people yeah, the ones that you like, meet, like, like the ones, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, people with the Instagrams and the YouTube channels and, you know, maybe they're not, they're not huge yet, but like, it's, it, I would imagine that pretty much everyone you meet has, you know, has a hashtag van life, Instagram and YouTube channel. Yeah. They usually have an Instagram, not a YouTube channel. Um, especially like the younger people that are in their twenties. Um, they usually don't have a YouTube channel. And then I kind of, after I talk to them for a while and we shoot the video, I try to convince them to start one. Cause I'm like, Hey, look, like you're already in a good genre. Uh, you, you do this every day, just film <laughs> yourself and put the video on here. Let me show you this video that made, you know, $2,000 in the last two weeks, you know, just start putting videos out there. Um, most of them don't make 
most of the people I've interviewed have real jobs. They're digital nomads and or they're seasonal workers. Um, I haven't met a whole lot of influencers. I've met influencer wannabes that were trying to grow something, but I haven't met any anyone that was like making a legit income off YouTube. Actually, that's not true. I know one. Her name is uh, Amber. She has a channel called Story Chasing, mm-hmm. and she's been doing the van life RV thing for a while. Um, and she makes a full-time income. She has a course also that teaches people how to exit their life and go into van life. So I have met one, one okay. that was legitimately and, making an income. And what about the, the Instagrammers? Anyone actually making any money? No, I've never met an Instagrammer that makes any money. I don't, that's not my platform. So I don't even know how you make money on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to build that following because it's just a good way to direct traffic into my, into my YouTube, but I've never met an Instagrammer um, that makes money. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm the same. I've met thousands of high-level digital nomads, and I don't know any Instagrammers who make significant money. The only ones I, I I met one I met a couple on Remote Year, but they're not influencers. They're people who teach people how to make money on Instagram and get paid to do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they really make any money on Instagram. Yeah, so. I like I know a lot of people who get like, you know, some free stuff sometimes, like, you know, free clothes or a free bikini or free. You know, they might get like a one-off deal. They might get like a free hotel room for a night or free, you know, so-and-so. Or they might, they might get a couple hundred bucks for, to make a post, you know, once in a blue moon. But none of them are making enough money to, to live off of. And I was telling, you know, my friends this, like the reason why I don't spend any time on my Instagram, like I'll post, you know, when I'm sitting on the toilet <laughs> just to throw things up there, you know, really just to kind of keep a presence and, you know, have my friends, um, you know, see what, I, what I'm up to. But the reason why I don't spend any time on my, my Instagram is because it's a complete waste of my time. I, if I was going to spend 30 minutes writing a nice post, putting nice filters and editing the photo, I might as well do that on a blog post or on a YouTube video that is first evergreen, you know, because most Instagram uh, stories and photos, you know, get seen that day, you know, for a few seconds and then never again, you know, and I can have it be something that people will find months later or years later and still make me money. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't know how people make money on Instagram. I assume if you have enough followers, then you, then the way you would make money is by, getting companies to pay you $10,000 to post something about their product or where their bathing suit or something like that. I'm assuming that's how the big Instagrammers make money, but you can't, the potential to make money as a smaller Instagrammer is not the same as like on YouTube. You can be, you can have 10,000 subscribers and make 10,000 a month on YouTube. If you're really, really niche, you have a really, really niche audience that goes out and buys stuff and watches your videos. But I don't know how you would do that on Instagram. The only reason I even stay on Instagram is I want that swipe up so people can swipe up to go to my video. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm, I'm, I'm messing around with Instagram because I do get traffic from there, but um, yeah, I just want the swipe up. So yeah. after 10,000, I don't even care about that. And it's funny. I get, you were talking about the products. I get emails, especially since my channel blew up. I get emails constant to, for free product. And the way I handle those is I reply back like, hey, if you want to work with me, it's 5,000 bucks for me to talk about your product in my video. And that's only after I use it and I like it. Huh? 99.9% of the time, I never hear back from them yeah, again. Of course. But sometimes they're like, oh, well, let's talk about this. And they want to like, um, you know, they want to try to work some kind of deal. So that's my advice to people too, is like, don't, don't get in that free product game. There's not, there's, unless you're in the free product, like um, it's most of it's junk anyway. Yeah. M- most of it's terrible. I mean, I-, I get emails about that all the time too, uh, especially with like travel gear. Cause I made a couple of videos about you know, the travel backpacks, the travel gear I use. And I take a look at what they're trying to sell me or, or not even sell me, give it to me for free. <laughs> and I look at it and I'm like, this is garbage. This is like some yeah. really like crappy rebranded stuff that they're, they're just trying to push on Amazon. And it's, it's something that I would never recommend to my audience or even want to use myself, even for free. Yeah, no, I agree. Sometimes I get ones that have nothing to do with my channel. Like may, I get, I, the other day I got one for may, some kind of makeup and I replied like, did you even watch my channel? Like, I'm not going to sell any makeup on my channel. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. But you know, makeup channels, I think do really, really well. If I, if I was living in the U S oh, I would yeah. find some <laughs> niche and I would just focus on that full time. I, I think YouTube is 
it's still relatively untapped. I think there's a lot of opportunity on there. I think five years from now or 10 years from now, we're going to look back thinking, man, why did we leave all that money on the table? There, there's a platform that let us host our videos for free, gave us a free audience, paid us, and has still allowed us to have affiliate links to the products, like so we can double dip or triple dip. There, there's so like we have so much control on YouTube that you don't have on places like Facebook or Instagram or even on Google search anymore. I mean, this really is the golden age of YouTube and, and, and you've proven it by, you know, c- can you talk about the, the numbers on how, how much you grew in the last couple of months? Yeah. So, so I was up to probably 500 to a thousand a month before COVID hit. And then I was Dollars. just doing like, li- Yeah. I was just doing live streams. And so my revenue fell to like 150 a month. Um, and then I got the van and I did my first van video and it, it got like 200,000 views right away. So that first month was like 2000. The wow. first month in van life was like 2200, just in ad revenue, um, wow. YouTube ad revenue. And, and then probably another 1500 in um, uh, Amazon and um, some of the other affiliates I have, including the Unbound Moreno. And then um, the month after that, I had another video. I had a few other videos that got two, 300,000 views, and it was like $4,800 or somewhere around there. And then last month was eighty-one dollars or $8,200. I had one video that just took off. Got a, It's at a million views now. That video by itself has made, I think, $8,000. Wow, that's insane. Eight, eight to, yeah, eight to $10,000. I haven't checked it lately, but it's just, it's insane how much money that makes. And now I have videos that are, um, I've built up a library videos that are making two to 300 a month. And I have old videos coming back. I have a video that I shot in Budapest and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden it's got 300,000 views. Um, and so I have all these, like, I, I, I consider the videos like little workers. Like some of them Mm -hmm. are going to make $10 a month. Some of them are going to make $300 a month. It's just finding, um, a lot of those $300 a month ones and you start building up that library and then the money just starts adding up. And if you can get one home run every, you know, 10 videos, that helps. Too. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So including your affiliate revenue, uh, on top of the, the YouTube revenue, you're making $10,000 a month now living out of a van. Yeah. It's crazy. I, at the van, this van, we, we, we talked about how expensive these vans are, but this van is well worth what I paid for it if I can continue these numbers. Yeah, that, that's that's really crazy. And the thing is, to like to us from the kind of digital nomad community, it seems so, like such an easy no-brainer. But I would imagine that most of the people who start van life or living van life first aren't that tech savvy, second aren't that entrepreneurial, and third just aren't you know surrounded by people with the same mindset. You know, it's like it's not you know I don't I don't know if there's a van life nomad summit, but somebody should create one. Yeah, there actually is a van life summit. It's online, um, but there actually is a van life summit. I actually got invited to speak at it. Uh, I turned them down, but uh, yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. I, I think what scares people off from YouTube is they put a video out and they don't make any money mm-hmm. and they go, okay, this doesn't work. And I, it's just like any other business. Like you got to put in the time, like, there, there are some people that have instant success on YouTube. There was, there was a, a, a girl van lifer that like exploded right away. Um, but normally, you, normally you got to grind. You know, I, I, people always say you're so lucky um, that, that you're making that money. And I'm like, or you're so lucky that you all of a sudden made that money. I'm like, man, I've been doing this almost two years. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I had to gr- I had to grind first. And my hope is, that I build up this van audience and a lot of them, and I'm sure you notice this, you have the same people that comment on your videos all the time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are starting to get invested in me. And my hope is when I start traveling internationally again, they'll tune in. And so I'll continue, um, I'll can continue this success in the van, but also out of the van as well. I mean, that's my goal is to be able to go to Chiang Mai and share that with people that normally watch van life videos and go, Hey, you can live here for a thousand dollars a month, like a freaking king. So mm-hmm. you should come over to Chiang Mai, you know, that type of. Thing. Yeah. So that, that's been my kind of a biggest fear as well is once I leave 
Sri Lanka, half my audience is going to be gone because they were only interested <laughs> <Yeah>. in <laughs> describing Sri Lanka. But yeah. that's a big reason why I don't make just like, you know, beautiful cinematic uh, videos. I make videos where, you know, I show, you know, how beautiful Sri Lanka is, you know, whether it's the waterfall or, you know, the, the you know, the animals, the jungle, whatever it is. But also I try to incorporate my personality and my story into it where I'm hoping that they follow for, you know, they, maybe they come for the, for the beautiful you know, scenery or the you know, awesome food, but then they stay and subscribe because they've become invested in watching, you know, the Johnny FD show. And they're like, okay, what is he up to next? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that, that should be everybody's goal. Um, especially like I, I realized really quick that I was not a, I was not a very good travel vlogger. Uh, I wasn't going to be one of those channels that could shoot these like amazing, like I tried that. I tried to shoot like these shots. I bought a really expensive camera, but I just wasn't good at it. And honestly, I didn't enjoy doing it. I didn't like going hiking with my friends and having, you know, a $5,000 camera with me and having to pull it out all the time and ruin, kind of ruin the hike for everybody. I realized Mm. right away that I wasn't a very good um, uh, travel vlogger and to your point, the real, the real way to, to have a successful YouTube channel is to bring people in and then get them to like you and watch whatever you put. Yep. Um, that, that's really the key to success. On yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, our previous guests um, on the podcast, 255 uh, Chanel, she, they make such beautiful videos like way better quality than me. You know, they have one of those, you know, five or maybe even $10,000 cameras. We, we literally went to the same places. I mean, we were at the same uh, locations and I just checked how many views they got on um, their video. And on the first couple of days when I would get, you know, 10,000 plus uh, views, they were getting a couple hundred, like less than a thousand. And it, and I feel so bad because their video is legitimately better than mine in every way except you know that i have the johnny fd audience that have been watching my videos about me eating you know three dollar street food or (laughs) you know like you know complaining about you know you know loud music at the the hotel and they're kind of hooked on my story now yeah well yeah i mean one i mean that's i mean that's the reason i follow you i mean i listen to invest like a boss even when it's not an investment option that I'm interested in because I'm like, what, you know, what is Johnny and Sam going to ask this guy? Maybe it's something that'll be relevant to me. And I just like, you know, I like hearing about the the different investments you guys are doing. And I think you just become invested in a person. One of my favorite van life channels is this channel called um, van city van life. And he films with his iPhone and he, he, his videos do way better than mine. So I'm assuming he's probably making fifteen to twenty thousand a month just off ad revenue because he's he's in the same genre as me, um, and he just shoots with his iPhone and he puts out he puts out a video every freaking day though, which is nuts. But um, he just shoots with his iPhone. Like you don't need that fancy stuff because what what people become invested in in YouTube channels are the people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of cinematic travel channels out there um, that get no views. The ones that get views are because the person behind the camera is actually pretty good. And if you go look at that person's old videos, nine times out of ten they were shooting with a GoPro when they got big. They just moved yeah. up to to a big camera. So I always yep. tell people don't don't waste your money on that stuff. Shoot with your 4k iphone and just show some personality and people will watch you i love it so kevin your full personality thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story (laughs) i think it's gonna inspire a lot of people to you know first uh join the military get that pension (laughs) and then 20 years later come back here get a van build a youtube (laughs) channel uh or you could just shortcut it all and just decide you know maybe i just want to jump into one of these uh vehicles first yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 a cool life. And if you want to be a YouTuber, my number one piece of advice is you got to put out content. You got to put out content every week. Put out content every week, stick with it. You'll eventually find what works for you and you'll be successful. It just, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint when it comes to, to YouTube and trying to earn money that way. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, so if people want to check out your channel, it's 30 and a wake up. Just search yep. for it on the YouTube. Mine is Johnny FD. Subscribe to us both. Give us a like. Hit that bell and watch our videos. Make sure you watch them to the end. Don't skip the ads, guys. Yeah.
especially when you, if, especially if you're in the U.S. If you're in Malaysia or Sri Lanka, you can skip some ads. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> awesome. All right, great talking yeah. to you, and hopefully I'll see you on the road someday or back in Chiang Mai somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I was supposed to be at the Nomad Summit this year. I was I was oh, ticked I off and got canceled. I had I had the uh, VIP, but oh, anyway, yeah, I appreciate. Yeah, I know. I was excited about Tbilisi. All right. Well, maybe next year, Kevin. See you guys all, right. all out there. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.